Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And I guess if there's one serious thing about these books, it's really just that there's this underlying theme of we can be friends with people that aren't just like us. You know, we can love them and we can learn from them. And I feel like a lot of times as adults, we don't do that. If someone's not like us, we find ways to be mad about that and distance ourselves from those people. But um, so if there is one serious thing about it, um, it's that sort of underlying message of acceptance and and uh, working with others and learning from others and, and appreciating others for their differences, not just for our similarities. Hey, everyone. I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. I'm delighted to introduce today's guest, Matthew Cordell. He is a gifted author and illustrator who has won the prestigious Caldecott Medal. He's here to talk about his super charming early reader series, Cornbread and a Poppy. It's so delightful, and it's about two best friends who may be opposites but have an unbreakable bond. It's perfect for readers who love classics such as George and Martha and Frog and Toad. Matthew Cordell has illustrated many books for children, including works of poetry, novels, and picture books like Bob Not Bob, Leaps and Bounce, and Rooting for You. He's also created numerous picture books himself, including Hope, Wish, Dream, Hello Neighbor, The Kind and Caring World of Mr. Rogers, Bear Island, and Wolf in the Snow, which was awarded the 2018 Caldecott Medal. Matthew lives in suburban Chicago with his wife, author Julie Halpern, and their two children. Now, before I share our conversation, get ready to be charmed by the synopsis for the third book in the heartwarming series, which is Cornbread and Poppy at the Museum. This third book in Caldecott medalist Matthew Cordell's best-selling early reader series tells a story of precious artifacts and priceless friendships. Cornbread loves spending time inside. Poppy does not. Cornbread adores in-depth research. Poppy does not. Cornbread is thrilled to visit the Moonville Museum. Poppy is not. But Cornbread and Poppy are the best of friends. So when Cornbread is invited to attend the Founders Gala to see the unveiling of a surprise new exhibit, Poppy agrees to be his guest. Their evening is full of spectacular treasures, including hand-carved hairbrushes, diamond-encrusted perfume sprayers, and a solid gold ice cream scoop. What other wonders will these mice discover? Celebrating both partnership and the value of what makes us individuals, 
young readers will find this classic odd couple irresistible as they encounter relatable issues with humor and heart. Well, hi, Matthew. Welcome to the Growing Readers Podcast. Thanks for having me. Before we jump right into talking about your Cornbread and Poppy series, which I love, let's spend a moment getting to know you a little bit. So I want to start with something simple. What does a typical weekday look like for you? So I'm pretty all over the place, I guess. My wife and I, we have a 14-year-old and a 9-year-old, or excuse me, 10-year-old, just turned 10. And um, we, my wife works from home sometimes, and I have a little studio not far from home. So we're both pretty flexible. So it can change in any given day who's dropping off the kids at school, who's picking them up. So it's kind of all over the place from day to day. But I usually try in the mornings to kind of take care of emails and kind of administrative things. And then in my afternoons, do the fun stuff, you know, the writing, the the drawing and stuff like that at my drawing table. But there's not really any formula for any given day. It's kind of a mixed bag. And then if I have a school visit or a festival to get to that, of course, changes everything as well. So I kind of like it that way. It's like every day is a little different and makes it more interesting. It seems like you get the administrative stuff of your your day (laughs) out of the way. Is that so you can kind of clear the mind so that when you do get the opportunity to be creative, you can? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think I just, I get sort of behind on my emails and stuff. So I try to designate a time, uh, where I'm kind of just clearing them out. And I've I've gotten pretty bad at emails, I must say. I don't know, maybe other people are bad at them too, but I always feel bad because I, I get I lose track of things and I'm not the most organized person, which is probably what this is kind of adding up to sound like. <laughs> but uh I try to stay on top of things, but the emails are, are kind of my Achilles heel. I often get follow-up emails, like just checking to make sure you got that message, you know? (laughs) So it's not my favorite part of the day, but I know that it's better to get emails than it is to not get them. So they're, they're good to have. Yeah, I did an Instagram live with author Josh Funk, and he asked me a random question and said, do you check your spam folder? And I was like, oh my gosh, I barely have time to check my regular folders, mm-hmm. <laughs> let alone my spam folder. But ever since he asked me that question, I definitely have given a little more attention to my spam folder. And sometimes I'm surprised what's in there. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Occasionally something important, I'll get into the spam and you'll either not find it for a long time or it's just gone forever. So I do try to do that occasionally, but sometimes it's a good excuse. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Your uh, message was in my spam box. Um, That's yeah. why I'm so I'm so late getting back to you. But now I'm not going to believe you, Matthew, if you ever I say, know, no, right? your email was I, in my spam folder. I just <laughs> left my, my dirty secret. <laughs> All right. Well, then that's your weekdays. What's something that you look forward to on the weekends? Oh, just family time of any kind. We My oldest is into musical theater, so there's often some rehearsals and stuff that they have to get to but uh we like to go to museums or go this time of year like an apple orchard or just hang out and kind of watch movies or play nintendo switch together so i i just 
sleeping in a little late, you know, yeah. a little bit later than on the weekdays. And then so it's a uh, just sort of relaxing family time is what I, I really look forward to that that time where, where no one's at school. We're all just for the most part at home and together. Definitely lots of family time on the weekends. You at this point have created a bunch of books for kids. So what is it that motivates you, what guides you, what drives you in creating books for kids? Well, a lot of times I, I kind of draw on my own experiences. Early in my career, I was thinking in terms of storytelling, I was thinking about what do I remember from my own childhood? I wasn't a dad at the time, and I didn't have a lot of kids in my life at that time when I first got started. So I was sort of drawing on my own childhood and thinking about funny things that might have happened or unusual or or maybe even things that you know are common amongst children that kids might relate to and then as i became a dad it it sort of shifted and i started thinking more in terms of about my experiences observing childhood you know from an adult's perspective and i started writing books about you know things that my kids would do or say that were interesting and i was doing more school more and more school visits so something at a school visit might inspire me something a, a kid might say to me so i'm you know started looking at storytelling from that from that side and then now i just sort of i feel like in my recent work, I'm sort of, I guess I'm kind of responding to the work that I've done previously because I I did a, a, a stretch of books that were more serious and somber, you know, books about alienation or prejudice, or I even did a book about death. And I started to want to just tell fun, light, enjoyable stories that kids would just be able to escape into. Um, I think we're living in a time and we have been living in a darker time where a lot of things can be addressed through picture books and books for young readers. Uh, and I was doing that, but I kind of wanted to escape from that. And that's where I'm at now. I'm kind of writing and illustrating books that are adventures or you know, mysteries or things like that. And that's kind of what I'm enjoying doing now because, you know, not only am I creating these books, but I also need to read them to group, large groups of children and families and parents and teachers. And reading those books can take a toll as well, you know, because you have to be, have these serious conversations. And so I'm really enjoying just writing kind of fun adventures and things that are like I said, escapes from from the darkness, the dark reality that that we're confronted with a lot of times. And a lot of books, I think, are addressing that as well. I don't feel like I need to be another voice in that in that area. So it's it's nice to kind of contribute to this other side of of getting kids to out of that for a little while, you know, and, and their parents as well, because the parents and the and the caregivers and the adults are the ones that are reading these picture books with the younger person that they're with or people that they're with. So it becomes that sort of escape experience for all of us. So that's where I'm at now. And that's that's where I've been for the last couple of years. And, and I'm still in that space currently with the books that I'm making now. You know, as a mom of three kids, those moments when you get to, you know, sit side by side and cozy up in bed right right before bedtime and you pick up a book and there's just a really nuanced, joyful moment 
that's just gentle and it makes you smile and it makes you laugh. And we're going to go further into the cornbread and puppy books, but I feel like that's what I love about it. There's these special moments that just do do what you say, where it just brings that little bit of joy. And there's just these nuanced Mm -hmm. moments that you can just kind of look at each other and go, yeah, I get that too. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're an artist and you're also a writer. So if you think back to childhood, what do you think it was that came to you first? Just the desire to create art or was it, did you always have a desire to tell stories? Like which one came first for you? Definitely art and drawing. I wasn't really making stories. I wasn't writing consciously, you know, with any kind of devotion until I was already an illustrator of picture books. And so I enjoy writing and I have at different times of my life and growing up, but I've always loved to draw. And that's been the kind of continuous thread through my entire life. Some of my earliest memories actually are sitting at the dining room table with my older brother and drawing Star Wars characters. When we were born, the first Star Wars movies were coming out. So that was a big deal. It was such a it was such a an explosion in pop culture. So that was a big deal for us. So we would just sit around and just from memory just draw like Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, Boba Fett, a lot of those early characters. And and then I remember this really validating moment. And I, I don't remember exactly why I did this, but I for some reason I drew a picture of um George Washington riding a horse the first American president. And I was really little, so I don't even know really how I knew about George Washington. But my brother, I wasn't even in school. I was in maybe preschool. And my brother liked it so much that he took it into his class for for show and tell. And the teacher like was was like he came back and he was like my teacher really loved that drawing she was really impressed by your age and how you drew that and i can remember feeling this gratification and that's kind of what makes me draw is like that's not the only reason but that's what has kept me drawing that kind of uh encouragement and uh the love from educators and teachers that give you that little nugget of uh, keep going, you know, you're doing a good job. And that's what's kept me on that path, I think. I mean, that and just the love of creating and wanting to make a new picture all the time. And yeah, I've always loved to draw. And then the writing side came much later. And that was really because I, I was drawing, I was illustrating books and I never really thought about writing, but until it got into the world of publishing. And then I started to think, like, wouldn't it be cool if I could draw the pictures for a story that I also wrote? You know, I could kind of do the entire thing. And uh, it took me years to, <laughs> to be able to figure out what makes a good story, how to tell it. And also just I think it really it really changed me to when I became a dad and it made it it made things a lot make sense to me a lot more. And just just reading more books, more books for young readers, just constantly just really immersing myself in that in that world and just constantly reading other people's books and being around a lot more kids and and uh, all of those things together have made me a better storyteller and a, and a better artist too but um i really struggled with the writing for for years and then things kind of slowly took hold in that area of uh of crafting a good picture book text so it sounds like obviously reading 
books by others really helped you come into your writing and your storytelling. But was there any kind of piece of advice somebody gave you or like what do you think the moment was that clicked where you're like, okay, I've got this. I can I can tell a story with words as well. I think it really came with my very first book that I wrote and illustrated. It's called Trouble Gum. Again, it was based on my childhood. I have I have an older brother and we, we were very close growing up. My dad was kind of a big joke prankster guy. So that's how we become and that's how we grew up and just sort of not not we never got in any big trouble like but we like to play little pranks on people so that book is kind of it kind of touches on that these two brothers they're pigs they it's a rainy day they're stuck inside they have a pack of bubble gum that they get from their grandmother and they it starts out they kind of chew the gum and then they get it stuck places but then they start blowing these giant bubbles that lift them up into the air so it gets kind of crazier and crazier and i had written a version of it it was sort of okay i was sharing it with a my editor liz at mcmillan and she liked my illustrations first and foremost but she liked it sort of the basic structure of the story uh the characters but she could see she knew that it needed quite a bit of work they, they put it under contract they took it and i was really excited about that telling me, you know, this needs some work, but we want to do this with you. And so, I don't know, this is going to sound really simple, but I also worked with another editor, Rebecca Davis, and had written sort of a longer story. And Rebecca basically just said, you know, this is a thing that I probably should have known already, but she was like, you know, you're writing storytelling that the pictures are doing, and you don't need both all the time. And she just basically said, you know, Think about, you know, showing, not telling, because that's an important part of picture book storytelling. And uh, just that simple advice that, again, I probably should have known. I probably should have picked that up somewhere. But that was a huge moment for me because I, I could really just start extracting text, entire sentences, even pulling that out. And it became such a clear moment for me that when you're crafting both parts of the story, think of it as the pictures and the words working simultaneously, hand in glove, and uh, they're helping each other tell this story. It's not like a novel that you need all this, all this uh, descriptive writing, dialogue, uh, explanation. Uh, picture books are unique in that way, where a lot of the storytelling is carried on through the art. And so when you write a picture book text, you kind of have to write it with that in mind. For instance, when I read a picture book text by another author, it's very sparse and I'm, and you know, but I can already picture in my mind how I'm going to tell this part of the story, how I'm going to add to this part of the story to uh, come to get across this point or get across this plot point, this description. So that was a big uh, turning point for me, just kind of figuring out and understanding how the text and the, the pictures tell the story together. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, while your art style is uniquely yours, for me, when I look at it, I often get nostalgic feelings of artwork from books that I read as a child. So I'm wondering who are the artists that have been the biggest influences on you as a children's book illustrator? I think, you know, I'm really drawn to artists that draw and paint very loosely, not super realistic, not very controlled, are really expressive in the lines that they draw or the brushwork that they're painting, brush strokes. Um, I, I started out when I was illustrating. I wasn't, illustration wasn't a thing. It wasn't something that I thought I would be doing. And I was a fine artist. And I was also working in the world of graphic design. So I was doing commercial art, but I guess for, the adult world mostly. It wasn't until I I met my wife Julie, who uh, is a writer. She writes um, mostly young adult fiction, but our, she wrote a picture book and I illustrated it. That was our first book together. It was called Toby and the Snowflakes. And Julie proposed the idea to me: Why don't we try to get a book published? Why don't I write something? And she's saying this to me: Why don't I write something and you illustrate it and we'll try to get it published? I wasn't super into the idea because I didn't remember or think about children's books for a long time. And I, I didn't really know what they were. And I, I thought I was sort of stuck on the idea of making art for people like me, you know, adults. And she started showing me all these books, either both from her childhood and contemporary picture books. And it really opened my eyes to how expressive and experimental people could be with the art. I think I thought it had to be very, it all had to be very polished and sort of and uh, wholesome, you know, and there's just a lot of things happening in picture books that, that I really had no idea. And I, I was very dismissive of, and it really opened up my mind about what could be done. And in those early days, the artists I still love are very loose pen and ink and watercolor artists like uh, William Steig, Arnold LaBelle, Quentin Blake, uh, Jules Pfeiffer, Bernard Weber. A lot of that just really rough, gestural, organic drawing. And that's kind of how I was working as an artist. It wasn't as cartoon-like as these artists draw, but it was uh, it was very loose drawing, simple drawing, um, and color. And so it, it was a natural progression for me to to think maybe I should work with these materials. And so I, I did a bunch of different studies using different things, you know, pastels and graphite and acrylic paint. And I kept coming back to the ink drawings. I just really liked how unforgiving ink is. Um, and sometimes the best things happen in those in those moments where you think it's a mistake, but it actually looks cool, you know, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's in those moments, I sort of learn something about what it is that I like or what it is that I can do and wasn't thinking about doing. I still look at a lot of those artists. I still love a lot of their books and, and I still am inspired by them every day. But I also, you know, there's a lot of great contemporary illustrators as well. 
Some of my favorites now are Katya Chin is a is an amazing illustrator. I feel like she's constantly doing different things, working in different mediums. And and uh, David Ezra Stein does about the same thing. He works in different ways. Uh, I could go on. My, my friends Philip and Aaron Stead, they, they work in different ways. They do some printmaking. They do some drawing and painting. So I just love things that are loose and expressive and there's just so many ways to make art in picture books. And I, it's endlessly inspiring to me to see how different people choose different ways to do that. And and I feel like I try to do that myself. I, I mostly pretty much exclusively work in pen and ink and watercolor, but I do try to kind of mix up uh, the drawing style from time to time, which I've been doing in recent years more so. So um, just trying to keep it interesting and, and different and not get bored with myself, you know? When you were talking about sort of the permanence of ink and and that you like that and sometimes some of the magic happens in the things you weren't planning. And one of my favorite kids books it's an older one by barney salzberg and it's called beautiful oops and mm -hmm. it's just all the little like art mistakes that get how they actually turn into something beautiful um yeah. i always loved reading that with my kids when they were younger so yeah we love that one too does anything come to mind that has been sort of your favorite beautiful oops in your own artwork where i'm sure it happens just sort of randomly but is there one moment that you were just like oh i didn't think of that one thing I've done is I've so I draw everything in ink first. So I'll you know when I'm ready to do all the final pictures, I will draw everything in ink first, and then circle back to the beginning, and then paint everything in watercolor. So I'm working in pen and ink and watercolor, and when I'm doing the ink drawings, I will sort of scratch a little test scratch. Not not a drawing in the margins, but I'll kind of kind of get my pen ready and I'll do some little scribbles in the margins. And when I do the watercolor, sometimes I'll have little blobs of paint in the margins. So I've kind of used that by the end of the picture, there's like just all kinds of you know, random marks and blobs around the edges of the picture. I haven't really found a way to use that, but I feel like it's the looseness of that and the kind of spontaneity of it. It's not really a picture, but sometimes I'll draw a little quick picture just to kind of loosen up my hand. So all of that together, look, it looks very strange and sort of uh, surreal and and uh, textured. And so I kind of see that and I and I want my my drawings to look like that, you know, so I kind of use that as inspiration to be as loose and as spontaneous and as sort of random and free as that it's an interesting thing because you know making those marks they're kind of like throwaway mark um but when they come together it's sort of the beauty of that and i think that's sort of a little bit about what beautiful oops touches on is that something happens that is unintentional and you look at it it's sort of ugly and it's sort of a mistake but there's a beauty to it you didn't know you liked or you didn't know that was a thing that that you could do. It's constantly happening sort of in the margins. And, and I'm as, as strange as it sounds, I, I try to make my pictures have that sort of quality as well, that looseness and freshness and and uh, and that free, uninhibited vibe about it. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I have a lot of admiration for anybody who works in uh, watercolor because <laughs> I've dabbled in the little um, kitty home kits, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm going to leave mm-hmm. the watercolors to the experts. You know, pen and ink and watercolor, they're both these very unforgiving mediums. And it's, I don't know, I guess I it doesn't bother me or I just kind of lean into that. But the interesting thing too, is that I, I went to school and I took drawing and painting and printmaking, and, but I never took any specific class in pen and ink or watercolor. So it was just kind of, I'm sort of self-taught in both. And, and I had many years where it was just trying to figure out why this isn't working or trying to figure out why this is so hard and kind of think it worked to my advantage in some ways, just because I was doing things that probably weren't supposed to be done or not the the suggested way of, of going about it and discovering things that I liked that were maybe unorthodox or different from sort of the the tried and true methods. So, but yeah, I, I guess I've made it, I made it difficult on myself <laughs> by not really knowing how to use these materials, but I think it's it, it's been okay. It's definitely been okay. It's more than okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's get into your Cornbread and Puppy series. I would love for you to share a little bit about who Cornbread and Puppy are, where the idea for these characters even came from, and then, of course, how you came up with their names. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, my wife and I, Julie, we worked together on that one book. It was Julie's first book and my first illustrated picture book. I had illustrated one novel before that, but in that, that Toby and the Snowflakes, it came out in 2004 and we've, we've never worked together since. Um, Julie sort of went more into young adult fiction and, and I stayed in picture books. There was never really another opportunity that came about to make another book. And there was this sort of random moment in time when Julie was thinking about maybe writing another book and she was jotting down some ideas and she had these two, she was thinking of two friends and they were named Cornbread and Poppy. (laughs) And and so she was like, do you want to make a book together? Try to get something published again. So I was like drawing some some sketches, I think we both thought they should be animals. And so they were just great names. You know, I should say that Cornbread as a character name is just (laughs) hilarious. Poppy is sort of the more subdued, but it's still very fun and and playful. It's a, it's a sweeter name and it's kind of a name that you might hear. Occasionally I'll find at a school visit or something, I'll, I'll, there will be a Poppy in the audience. But there's never a cornbread, no. you know. <laughs> so I was drawing some different animal characters. I think I drew some pigs and a pair of pigs, a pair of dogs, maybe, and a pair of mice. And then not much happened with it after that. Um, we both got busy. It didn't really evolve too much. Years went by. And I remember I was cleaning out my studio one day and I came across those old sketches. And I really still liked the mouse one. So I I posted it on Twitter and or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it was somewhere. And, yeah, and maybe all three. I don't know, but uh, I had this editor and she was like, 
because it had the had these two mice and sort of scribbled underneath was cornbread and poppy. And she was like, what is that? That's, you know, cornbread and poppy. That's hilarious. And is this something that you're working on? And and I said, well, it's, it's not, you know, but it could be, you know, <laughs> in that moment, I had some time to maybe flesh out some new ideas. So I, I was thinking, maybe I'll do it. You know, <laughs> maybe I'll take. So I asked Julie, I was like, would you mind, you know, if I took your awesome character names and tried to figure out a story with these two mice? And of course, she's a wonderful person. And she said, yes. So I, I wrote this story, this, you know, I'd done a bunch, I'd done several picture books and I wanted to kind of try something new, but nothing like drastically new. I wanted to kind of still draw and, and still uh, write, but maybe for a, a slightly older child. So I was thinking, I've never done a beginning reader chapter book. And so maybe it's, this could be that, you know, sort of in that these two friends in the, in sort of the legacy of, of way, you know, maybe I can't, I don't know if Arnold LaBelle started the whole like two friends trope with frog and toad, but you know, frog and toad, George and Martha, a lot of these very classic uh, friendship series, beginning readers, which other people have continued to do, like, uh, you know, Elephant and Piggy, of course. And maybe this could be a springboard for a series of stories. So I grew up in sort of a, a, a more rural area. Uh, I grew up in South Carolina. I live in the Chicago area now, but I was picturing this kind of these two mice, sort of country type mice, but also a town, you know, sort of a small town vibe. And uh, I think I just started writing, you know, this sort of a story about things that they could do that were fun. You know, this was, as I was mentioning earlier, just wanting to write a story that is an escape, something that just does, talks about something fun and and funny, you know, some lots of humor as well. So I wrote a few different ideas down and it sort of made sense that these two characters would be different from each other so that they like different things, but they still like each other, you know. And I guess if there's one serious thing about these books, it's really just that there's this underlying theme of we can be friends with people that aren't just like us, you know, <laughs> we can love them and we can learn from them. And I feel like a lot of times uh, as adults, we don't do that. You know, we, if someone's not like us, we we find ways to be mad about that and distance ourselves from those people. But um, so if there is one serious thing about it, um, it's that sort of underlying message of acceptance and and uh, working with others and learning from others and, and appreciating others for their differences, not just for our similarities. And so Cornbread evolved into this he's a, he's a more put together more prepared he's very particular and he likes sort of he doesn't like adventure so much he likes sort of a he likes to learn and he likes to research and be prepared and and poppy is very spontaneous and free and uh and she's very uh outgoing and wants to be outside all the time and do fun wild things so poppy is that but because she's free and spontaneous she's a lot of times unprepared. She's not put together. She's not organized. So those are her flaws. And Cornbread is very organized and put together. But his flaws are that he can be a little bit he kind of a stick in the mud, you know, like he doesn't want to try new things. He doesn't want to go and do exciting and 
spontaneous things. He can be a little bit more reserved and conservative in that way. So when you put them together, it's sort of like there's their lesser parts fill in the parts where the other person is kind of doing more. So it's kind of they they sort of even each other out nicely. And I didn't realize this until until later when I'd already started writing, but I I, I sort of subconsciously took my wife's Julie's good traits and sort of sprinkled the, her good traits over both characters. So Julie is very, she likes adventure. She likes she's, she likes to plan trips and go out and seek adventure in those ways. But she's also very organized. <laughs> and uh, I, I like to do things, but I don't always like to prepare and plan. And, you know, so I'm kind of a curmudgeon in that way. So I'm kind of the, the negative traits of both characters. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife is the is the good side of both. And it's a, it's a strange uh, subconscious creation I made. But um, I love it. Yeah, they're kind of based on on our, our relationship in a weird way, but not super intentionally. So. Well, there, there's currently three books in the Cornbread and Puppy series, and the latest obviously being Cornbread and Puppy Go to the Museum. Like you said, they're ideal for beginner readers, early readers, those kids that are branching out on their own, not quite ready for a chapter book yet. I'm curious for you, what differences did you find in either writing, art, or even layout and design of an early reader book versus your picture books? The immediate difference really was just being able to write more. In picture books, like I was saying earlier, there's this kind of subtraction process you go through as a writer where you eliminate text um, and you're, you're kind of working towards not overwriting. But when you take it up to the next level of reading, you want there to be more reading. You want there to be more words. At least I did. Um, there are some beginning readers that are sparse in text. And I I wanted to do something different, so I wanted to write a longer text. You know, Frog and Toad is sort of my gold standard of beginning reader. And I think that Frog and Toad, Arnold LaBelle was like the most perfect writer. His stories are just every word is so perfectly placed and chosen. So and and it's a it's a bit of a longer text. And that's what I wanted to make. There I think there's kind of different approaches with beginning readers, but I, I was already writing a sparse text. So I wanted to write a fuller text, but still have a lot of pictures. So that's what these books turned into. And and I it was interesting for me to to be able to write more words, describing things, more character development through the words and world building, you know, describing the places they're in, um, the characters they see, how they get from point A to point B. Um, being able to draw that out more was a lot of fun for me because normally what I do is I write a lot in picture books, in my picture book text, and then I'll go back and just start pulling things out. But in this case, I could just write and write and then it stays in, you know, so it, it was such a fun thing. And it, it's been fun for me to make these stories because I, I know that I can kind of open myself up a bit more and, and not have to edit as much in terms of taking taking out sections or taking out word count. And I love the idea, too, that these books are a bit longer and they're they're sectioned off in chapters. So in theory, you know, a child could read one chapter a night. You know, it, this could be a book that that could be read over multiple sittings. And that that seems fun to me, too. That's a different way of reading a book. So it was a fun, you know, exploration for me. And it has been 
continue to be fun. I'm sort of in bubbling up in my mind these past several months. I'm I'm sort of envisioning doing a middle grade novel now. So I'm kind of like that's exciting. Ready. Yeah, I think I'm ready to to maybe take it to the next step up age-wise, you know, and maybe write something even longer. We'll see if I can if I can manage that. It's a it's a it's a very different approach and skill set, but I like a challenge. So we'll see. Yeah. Kind of feel as though, and I I mean, there may be people listening here and they'll be like, oh no, Bianca, that's wrong. But I wonder if you're a middle grade author and you decide to write a picture book, if that's actually harder than if you're a picture book author and you decide to write a middle grade book. Because I think to be able to dial in a story and tell it well in 600 words or less, it's mm-hmm. really hard. Yeah. And so now when you move into writing a middle grade, you understand what the story needs to to have to, to be a good story, but you have all this space to, to say more. But I wonder mm-hmm. when you're write a middle grade story, like how tricky that is to suddenly dial everything back. I don't know. I don't know which one's harder, but I'm going to guess it's harder to be a middle grade writer and then switch to picture books. I would think so. I mean, picture books are deceptively simple to begin with. And that's why so many people sort of take a crack at at writing one, um, because there's not a lot of text, but there's so much more to it than not writing a lot you know that's you have to first and foremost have a good idea you know a good well-conceived idea but there's definitely this sort of distilling process that goes into it where you would have to change your mindset to go from middle grade to picture book i've that's a good question you know i've never had that conversation with a middle grade author or an any any author of a longer book or novels but I would be, that's a good conversation to have, I think, you know, what what was it like writing a picture book and what were the challenges and did it come as easy as, as anticipated or was it a lot harder? Because I would think it would be a huge learning curve, especially for the first time you, you attempted to write a picture book as a middle grade author. So it would be a fascinating conversation. I'm going to use Cornbread and Poppy Go to the Museum as the example. So you described the characters. Cornbread really wants to go to the museum in this story. But Poppy, she prefers outdoors and camping, like you said. And um, she does not want to go to the museum. But Cornbread says, well, if you come, like maybe I'll go camping with you. And so Poppy's like, well, okay. I'm not going to give away the ending because I want when you have a book with a good ending, you need to experience it for yourself. But I love it when you can really tell the difference between a good book and an excellent book because a good book wraps up tidily. Uh, You know, it's got a really great beginning, middle and end. But I think an excellent book leaves you with feelings inside, you know, whether whether it's sad, happy, you know, mad, glad, whatever. But when I got to the end of Cornbread and Puppy Go to the Museum, the ending, it made me smile. And so I'm curious if you have a secret behind that like do are you somebody who knows your ending first or do you just play with the story and the ending comes like how do you how do you get that ending so that your book moves from just being a good book to an excellent book 
Yeah, that's a good question. And thank you, by the way. I, I really appreciate that. This very thoughtful description of the book. You know, I I don't know. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I kind of, I think it's a process, you know. I usually have, usually start out with these books in particular, I start out with an environment, you know, or a situation, whether it be a, you know, there's a, a springtime carnival, or in the first book, there was this kind of food harvest preparation thing that happened, and uh, more of a winter book. And this again, sort of is a it's not an outdoor thing, but it's it's sort of because it was going to be released in the fall. I'm thinking it could either be outside and cold or inside somewhere. Um, and museums are just such an important part to me. Museums of all kinds, art museums, natural history museums, science museums. I love art. So I've always loved art museums. But when I met Julie, she, she started introducing me to going to other museums and uh, museums are vast and mind opening and fun places to explore. They also open your eyes and mind to other people that visit museums because everyone seeks knowledge. So there's so many different people that come to museums, different races, different cultures. And so that is inspiring about museums too. So I wanted to create this museum that had all these weird, unusual, sometimes funny things, but also fill it with people that were characters themselves that were sort of interesting and fun and funny characters too. Um, and I sort of poked fun at sort of the academia of museums, this sort of like geekiness of museums, people liking the, like really specific strange things and liking certain exhibits that are <laughs> unusual it's it's all uh, you know comes from love you know because i love that and i i kind of consider myself one of those people too it starts out like that and then i start thinking about what where's the conflict in this though because i could see like cornbread really liking a museum but poppy not wanting one and so i'm thinking like what's going to happen what where will they, the the wedge come in where will the problem come in and i started to think like well maybe cornbread loves this museum so much and poppy does is sort of indifferent to it but what could happen so that everyone at the museum loves poppy <laughs> like cornbread loves the museum he has all these friends there he likes that kinship but poppy goes and she's kind of like oh, i don't know this isn't my thing you know but then what could happen where everyone just loves poppy <laughs> And cornbread gets so upset about that. And so I started, I don't want to give away, there's there's like all these different surprises that kind of evolved out of that, like that moment when I was thinking like, where can that problem happen? And when I started thinking that, I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is, there's something, I, I don't want to say too much because I think the surprises in this book, I, I want every book to have, every cornbread and poppy book to have little surprises where you turn the page and you're like, what? I wasn't expecting that. And this one has some big moments like that. Something happens that causes this rift, but they love each other so much that Cornbread is, you know, really upset and Poppy can see that. So that becomes her priority, you know, making Cornbread feel better because she all he wanted was for her to like this experience and and it just becomes this, this day that really unravels under his feet and you come back you come back to that the, the heart of these books which is really the strength of their friendship and the bond that they have and uh, being able to overlook differences and overlook ego and all those things so that they can make the other person feel better or be in a better place so that's where it sort of comes back around 
in this in the latter half of the book. And then one thing that I like to do in all of the books is called is called a callback where the very last page usually calls back a phrase or a, a moment from earlier in the book where you're like, oh, yeah, I remember when Cornbread said that. But now it means something a little bit different, you know. So I that's kind of a, a similar. I don't remember if I did that in Carnival or not. I may have. But um, it's something I like to do at the end of stories a lot is sort of like make it come full circle with a turn of phrase, just a an expression or something like that that makes you feel like, oh, yeah, this is this is the end, you know, and it feels it feels right. You know, you've definitely already touched on this, but sometimes it's just nice to hear a summary. What do you hope that readers ultimately take away? I, I want them to enjoy themselves reading these books and I want them to to feel a sense of warmth and coziness, you know, in this world that is sort of it has humor it has love, friendship, it has community, nothing intimidating, nothing uh, dark. And I just want them to have that experience of getting away from whatever it is that is going on in their life to be submersed into this world of animals and, you know, community and, you know, the whole world world building aspect of these books is something that I've really tried to craft, making this little town and all these little animals and the situations that they get into and sort of, I just want them to enjoy it. My hope is that it's something that families enjoy, you know, adults We'll get a little bit of humor out of some of the things that I've put in there that kids might not fully see at first, at least. And uh, th those are the fun moments for me. I've, I've been hearing because this book just came out a couple of days ago. I get these these interesting comments on Instagram and people saying, like, I'm a teacher and, and my kids just love these books. And they ask me, when is the next one coming out? But, you know, I love reading them, too. You know, I, I think they're hilarious. And, and so I love that. And that that's one of the things that I think someone who makes books for young readers has to be conscious of. It has to be has to kind of seek out and try to do is to please these two very different brains, an adult brain and a child's brain. You, you want to satisfy them both because you know they're both reading it. You don't want an adult to be reading your book and just be, oh, this is so corny. This is so, oh, this is so bad. I, I, don't, I don't think I can read this anymore <laughs> after this time. You want them to want to read it again. You know, you want them to continue to enjoy it, um, multiple readings and want to even want to read the next book you know want to read the sequel or the the next part of the series so i love those moments when i hear from adults parents or teachers or because those are the people that you hear from on instagram you don't hear from the little ones uh, i love when they tell me that they enjoy them together you know they enjoy these little pockets of of adventure and escape 80 pages of pictures it really puts them in that world and they they laugh and they want to see what happens on the next page. So that, that those are the, the moments of redemption and all this, just hearing those kind of comments. And will there be more cornbread and puppy stories? Yeah. So the, there's another one. Yay. I just finished it, drawing it this summer. It's, uh, it's called Cornbread and Poppy for the Win. It's a fun story. It's outside. We're outside again, and uh, it's, it's a, it'll be out in the spring. So it's a nice outdoors spring, summer story. And I got to put them in bike 
helmets and gear and stuff like that so that was fun and so i don't know beyond that if there will be more but there's definitely a fourth one and that'll be out definitely in the spring or early summer we we definitely can't just leave without giving a shout out to your picture book evergreen because the buzz that it's been getting it's got a gazillion starred reviews it's been heralded as one of the best picture books of 2023 so in a nutshell do you want to just share a little bit about evergreen yeah evergreen is um the whole thing is kind of a a love letter to a different time in picture book making it's a longer picture book text uh, a lot of picture books, you know, it's funny, I've been talking about pulling words out of your picture book text, but I just I wanted to write a longer text, you know, a lot of picture books from years past are longer and it has a different vibe, you know, it's sort of like you're telling a long folk story or, or fairy tale. So I kind of went at it like that. I wanted to tell this longer yarn of a story. It's a, it's sort of a woodland. It's again, it's sort of that I'm in that, I'm still in that space where I want to make these cozy stories with not just animal characters. I mean, I'm doing other things too, but uh, Evergreen is about a squirrel and she's afraid and she has to go on this journey across the forest um, in order to deliver some soup to Granny Oak. And so it's this story where it's like a quest story. So she goes from one problem to the next. Every problem is sort of turns your mind around. Like she meets, for instance, a rabbit, this nice fluffy white rabbit. You think, oh, so it's a rabbit, you know, it's it's gonna be very sweet and nice and 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 it ends up being like a, a rabbit that tries to steal the soup, you know. So a lot of the things that happen to her are these sort of surprises. And you know, I I like being surprised, you know, when I'm a reader. I like to not be able to predict what when something happens. So as a writer, I want to make those moments happen. So so by the end of it, the biggest surprise of all happens when she gets to Granny Oak's house with the soup. And uh, I won't spoil the surprise, but I wanted that to be this moment where like, you're just kind of just the rug is pulled out from under you in terms of what your expectations were. And it's just so much fun, I think, being surprised like that to read a story and something really unexpected happens. And so that's what I wanted to do in this book. And and so the illustrations, too, I did a lot more drawing. You know, I sort of I'm sort of like a throwback to sort of vintage illustration where there's like intricate uh, borders around everything and maybe even like a, a subdued limited color palette. And so it has this sort of old school fairy tale, folk tale um, vibe in storytelling and the pictures. But, you know, there's also lots of things that I sort of wove into it that make it feel contemporary and the humor and the facial expressions and things like that. So I think what I try to do is just a nice blend of classic and contemporary and still have that like warm, cozy vibe to it. And so uh, it's been fun to share and read. And, and yeah, it's I've really I've been really appreciative of, of the of the response to the book. It's been a great year for it. I just wanted to give a shout out to Julie because I feel like she was a big star of our conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. I still want to know from her one one day how the name Cornbread came came to be because it's, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, so shout out is. to Julie and um, just thank you so much for always creating books that manage to really 
deeply satisfy the mind and the heart. And you do that with both your words and your artwork. So thank you so much for putting what you do out into the world. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. That's very kind. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order copies of the Corn, Bread and Poppy series. For more information about Matthew Cordell, visit matthewcordell.com. And remember, if you love listening to the Growing Readers podcast, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To find more books just like Cornbread and Poppy, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.